You are listening to An Environment for Change, an eight-part series looking at some of the many people in the Mount Alexander Shire who are working to combat climate change and promote sustainable living. These are local people who are working towards changing our habits so we can all move forward into a vibrant, healthy and sustainable future. In this series, we'll hear from local farmers, Boomerang Bags, Repair Cafe, local environment groups, activists and concerned citizens. You can hear it at 9am on Monday mornings on Main FM 94.9 or listen anytime by jumping online to the Main FM SoundCloud page. This series was made possible by a community grant from the Mount Alexander Shire Council. Change. In today's episode of An Environment for Change, I'm speaking with Lucy Young, who's been working in that community for over a year with Plastic Bag Free Castlemaine. Sponsored by the Hub Foundation, this campaign has been working to engage local businesses to replace plastic bags with more sustainable options and encourage us as individuals to also adopt a plastic bag free life. In the last few weeks, we've seen a lot of media coverage and a lot of hoo-ha over single-use plastic bags and people's reaction to them being removed from popular supermarket chains. Mostly what those supermarkets are doing are replacing thin plastic with thick plastic, which still may only get a single use. And I don't think that's exactly what Lucy had in mind when she's been campaigning for a plastic bag-free Castlemaine. So her campaign is still alive and active and she will be pushing for much more sustainable alternatives than the thicker plastic bags that most of these shops are now introducing to replace the single use plastic bags. To record this interview I went to Lucy's home, itself a model of sustainability, a beautiful house she and her partner built out of recycled and environmentally friendly materials in an intentional community called Murnong. Each household at Murnong is committed to eco-living and sharing land and resources. We sat in a little study and drank tea and were able to watch the activities of birds and other wildlife in the bushland just outside the window. Hi Lucy. Hi Ellie. What was the inception of this? What made you start doing this? Uh, It was actually the Hub Foundation. So they had been aware of my work through Growing Abundance and so they approached me in at the beginning of 2017 I think is that right yeah 2017 so not that long ago and um, asked if I'd be interested Um, they kind of they must have watched there was a program on TV at that time it was about plastic it was at the beginning of that time and they're like really are we still doing this we really should this is something that Castlemaine should be able to take on and smash smash it yeah just like we can do this yeah and they had already done a little bit of preliminary work um, the previous year on you know what a campaign might look like and so um, yeah they just rang me up and asked me if I'd be willing to do it I wasn't doing any paid work at that time so I agreed to give it a go great (laughs) (laughs) and what does giving it a go what's that what has that looked like Well, I say give it a go because it was partly about whether or not I was willing to step into that sort of work again. Also, it was asking some questions around the place, you know, what was already happening or if I thought it was doable. But it was probably mostly, giving it a go was probably mostly a personal question 
around how did I feel working on my own again and being kind of the holder of a project as well as the instigator and all of that. So, yeah. Mm. It's a big commitment to... Because I guess if you launch something like this and then it fizzles, it just feels a bit crap. Yeah, and it probably feels crap for the foundation that's trying to do it as well. They have have a really strong track record. I say I'm the bag lady because you become very much, you know, the identity behind the project. So when I walk down the street, people talk to me about plastic bags. They used to talk to me about growing abundance and still do sometimes, but it's, it's a small town and people um, identify you with a project. Well, that's been my experience. So, I mean, I think the name sums it's the project up, Plastic Bag Free Castlemaine, but what can you tell me a bit more about what the goals are and maybe what the timeline is or what you think is achievable for this town? Hmm. So initially it was really um, to... It, I, I had about eight months to see if it was aspirational, the name was aspirational. Would it be possible to get... Castlemaine declared a plastic bag free town. We were aware that there are towns in this area that have that status. They're all much smaller than Castlemaine so it was going to be quite you know it's going to be a great achievement if we could do it really quickly. So what towns are you thinking of? Thanks for the challenging question. (laughs) There's a lot in the Loddon Mallee region mostly up north of here. I think Inglewood... But a lot of them were supported over the last 10 years by Loddon Mallee Regional Waste Recovery. Resource Recovery Group. <laughs> you know, they worked with the model of having a local champion who said, yeah, we want to do this. Most of these towns would have one supermarket, a, a handful of shops, really, a smaller population and also some resources behind it. So Loddon Mallee Waste Group providing a project worker who would go and consult with all the businesses and then also um, offer a tr- offer the resources to do a trial of saying, OK, so if we buy your paper bags, will you not use plastic bags for six months and see how it goes? And so most of them, of course, found that behaviour change happened quite quickly once people weren't offered a plastic bag then they just kind of got about them so we were aware of that when we started but we were aware that it would be more challenging in Castlemaine. So what are the challenges specific to Castlemaine? I know that there's a lot more shops and cafes and businesses I guess than just a handful. I guess it's a challenge with any with any project that who are the really key stakeholders and in this town it's it's our maxi IGA and and they've been reluctant to go that way. So we've toyed with different ideas of um, Loddon Mallee Regional Waste was certainly in favour of, of us just declaring it plastic bag free and see what would happen as a result of that. Which is the social pressure, yeah. do you mean? So a strategy that they've used in other towns is, you know, they might have 80 or 90% of people on board and there'll be a couple of stragglers so they'll just go ahead and launch and the others will jump on board because they don't want to be left behind. Yeah, and we decided not to not to do that in Castlemaine. Is there a reason why? We did a survey and it was, you know, we just had a team of volunteers who went in and just surveyed anyone. They didn't pick 
the people and it was about 85% of people supported a ban even though they might have been carrying plastic bags at the time. They said, if they don't offer them to me, I won't use them. Um, I need something to push me over. And so that was, we were fairly confident that the result of that was had integrity. There was about 140 people interviewed. As I said, they weren't selected. And there were an additional um, equal amount online, which may have been more self-selecting. So that that data um, might have been slightly skewed but we were fairly confident and we know from the media and from other towns that basically most people in the population want to in inverted commas do the right thing and so if asked and if encouraged and if supported most people know that plastic bags are not um, good for the environment and and the creatures living in it including us and so would be happy to go along with it I think actually in this case the main the main factor that means that to date we don't have plastic bag free status is actually that the state government has said that they will introduce a ban. Whether or not that ban has integrity remains to be seen and over the coming weeks we'll find out what it looks like. So when did they announce that? That was in October last year. So a few things happened around the time that the campaign took a break. One was that on the eve of the Greens bill to institute a ban in Victoria. So, so across the state, no plastic bags? Yeah, and it also had extended to microbeads and um, a range of other plastics. So on the eve of them announcing uh, it being voted on in Parliament, the Victorian government announced its own ban and then the following day voted down the Greens ban. So at that time, actually what, what they successfully did was take all the energy out of all the campaigns around the state which some as cynical as me might say that this was this was a successful shutdown of the campaign having said that they announced the ban and then they announced sorry i'm just a little distracted by the beautiful little bird sitting out oh, the i think it's a yellow rump thornbill it's gorgeous it's a little ball of fluff <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so they announced the plastic bag ban sometime this year and then they released a survey. And so they were inviting all Victorians to have input into the survey and 8,000 people did have input into it. But when I read the survey, which was asking all sorts of questions about what Victorians thought about how it should be dealt with, basically, but they also had a whole lot of supporting documents. And the Supporting documents were fantastic. To my mind, I thought they already know the answers they should be producing. So anyway, to cut a long story short as to how this relates to the campaign, it did kind of put a blanket on energy because we knew that businesses that were reluctant, in particular um, our large supermarket, would say, well, why would I do something now and put my business on the line if I'm going to have to do it? I'll just wait thank you very much and that's effectively what it did there was a big yay Victoria's going to ban plastic bags which um incidentally I've got an article here somewhere that shows um a great announcement about 
2007 that the Labor government said that they would be banning plastic bags and we're in 2018. So it's it's kind of a well-worn strategy because people go, yay, job's done and... Forget about it. Forget about it. And so also at that time, the other AGA changed hands. So the people that I was negotiating with there and were very on board, suddenly they weren't there anymore. There was a new owner who was not wanting to go out on a limb. They've subsequently changed that, so they're about to do that. But I guess what I'm talking about really is the, you know, just the the intricacies of and the politics of relationships, you know, trying to build up relationships with people and the effect that it has when they move on. And so when you're looking at that broader social change, there's always going to be you know, key players. And in this town, actually, the one that I've worked most consistently with is the Casamain Fresh. They get lots of feedback from customers and they listen to them and they know that, you know, that people want to do it, but they also don't want to, interestingly, they they don't want to do it alone, partly because they're aware that it might have some backlash on their business, but actually they also recognise that there's advantage in what I was going to say earlier was coming back to this sense of town pride or a sense of a town being able to make a difference that could be gained from everybody doing it at the same time. Mm. So I know that Castlemaine Fresh do things like uh, they always have a pile of boxes behind the counter so people can take a box if they haven't brought a bag and they're also supporting boomerang bags by having the box of boomerang bags out the front which may or may not be full of bags for people to take but at least they're offering that as, yeah. a, as a thing so they're, they're trying to find solutions for people too which is great what what do you think the best solutions are for people instead of plastic bags because there's two things that people say to me when we talk about losing plastic bags one of them is what will I use as a bin liner and the other one is oh I can't be bothered remembering to carry bags around everywhere with me what would you say to people who are saying those things well what would I say I think the bin liner one is I usually say what why do you need a bin liner and then I often talk about my own bin which is like most people's bin a plastic bin which occasionally gets grubby and I wash it and the reason it only occasionally gets grubby is because I don't put compostable things in there I put them in the compost or the worm farm because actually the organics in landfill is one of our biggest problems. It's, you know, it um, creates something like 40% of the methane, which is a really, really harmful greenhouse gas. So that's something that the council's been quite good at encouraging people not to put their organics in there. I do understand that um, there are some things, meat seems to be one of the hardest things because people don't want to put that in their compost. Some really hardcore people might, you know, bury it in the garden or... But if if people have anything dirty to put in a bin, I would suggest... I usually suggest that they put that either wrap it in newspaper if they have some to keep their bin clean or use any other number of wrappers that we have, like an old pasta packet or an old bread bag or other of those things that we just have that are going to be put in the bin and most people's bins are full of plastic bags of some sort or another and I'm not saying that those things should be in the bin because we've got a whole lot of other options now but the question of do you need a bin liner is is just a I've kind of adopted this thing that I can't put into words but if if I don't put it into words it's just kind of like people 
need to kind of go eh. and I guess that what <laughs> what that is if I'm trying to put it into words is just taking a sideways step and going and having a look and saying how can I do this differently and so a lot of the things that we're focusing on now like putting signs up around town you know the dash and stash or this smug and lug just these kind of catchphrases are really just kind of reminding people to stop and think that it's not very difficult but I also know that it's difficult to to make a change and we do live in a world that is very fast and furious and doesn't really encourage people to think so a lot of campaigning now I think is about trying different ways to try and get people to stop and think because I think it's not that they are not in support of change or doing the right thing as I would say it's that it just involves a little stop and a pause and a sideways glance yeah (laughs) yeah do you get feedback from people who have switched to reusable canvas bags or other bags about what what the differences are and how it feels to use those bags instead of the plastic bags yeah, well, I think that's the that's the positive feedback loop that can be enabled if if people are doing something that is in line with their values. So, if we say broadly that people want to live with with care in the world, then when they make a change, like stop using plastic bags because most people know that it's not sustainable, and they start doing the other. Th- action then it does feel good and psychologically and in our bodies it feels good and we feel if you run into me in the street you feel proud because (laughs) because you've got your bag and not a plastic bag that's the small town effect yeah and so I think you know people feeling good about the way they are in the world is is you know is what happens and that's because it's in alignment with people's values around living with integrity, living with meaning, making a positive contribution towards the world they're living in. And all of that can be had in one little bag. <laughs> You're listening to An Environment for Change on Main FM 94.9. This morning I'm talking to Lucy Young about her campaign to make Castlemaine a plastic bag-free town. I want to ask Lucy at this point in our conversation exactly why plastic bags are so bad. We all kind of know it but it's nice to know why. In Australia, we currently consume somewhere around, the estimates are around 5 billion plastic bags a year. It's an enormous amount, although I do believe there was some horror when Woolworths and Coles released their estimates on what they were using because it was far more than what people like Clean Up Australia who currently provide those sort of stats um, had estimated. I think it's interesting also to translate that into local terms. It's estimated that we use about 10,000 plastic bags a day in this shire, which is just mind-blowing. I do know from speaking with the big IGA that they use minimum 2,000 per day. I would be interested to know whether or not that's changed in the last 12 months, but we don't really have any way of estimating that other than anecdotal, and a number of retailers have told us that they've noticed a big difference in the last 12 months for a range of reasons. Since we've been running, and I think also it's it's become more a mainstream issue as well with the war on waste and things like that. In terms of why plastic bags are an issue, 
They're an issue on a number of levels. What some of the authorities say is they last up to 1,000 years in the environment. There are a range of different plastic bags labelled degradable, biodegradable, oxydegradable, and there are problems with all of them. Oxydegradable that were brought in as the environmental solution are possibly one of the biggest problems because they are designed, they have a chemical additive that makes them likely to break down very quickly. The thing is that they they actually don't break down, they break up. So we're probably all familiar with um, the plastic bags left in the sun and they turn into little pieces and they're just getting smaller and smaller pieces. They don't actually go away. They do become like dust, but they're still there in the environment. They're there for us to breathe in. They're there for animals to ingest. They are a big pollutant. From an intuitive point of view, I can't say that I would choose to drink or eat plastic. There's evidence now that a lot of our bottled water Actually, our tap water as well has plastic in it because it's in the atmosphere. Once it breaks down, it's it's in the wind, it's everywhere. Um, So this is on the same level as what people, people who are worried about microfibers and microbeads and all that sort of stuff. It's the same level of like it becomes tiny, but it doesn't mean it goes away. Correct. It doesn't go away. And it's not only um, one of the most heavily promoted polluting aspects of it is with our marine wildlife because there's those terrible images that are around of you know whales washing up and just full of plastic um, of you know chicks starving because their well-meaning parents are feeding them plastic when they're collecting it from the ocean mistaking the different colors for different fish Um, those heart-rending stories and they're really yeah it's really disturbing Um, there's also other wildlife that Um, you know, land-based wildlife that has been affected. One of the issues with promoting, or we don't promote the use of biodegradable bags because they will inevitably end up in landfill. And actually, because they're biodegradable, they will contribute to methane gas because it's essentially like putting compost in to landfill. There is no solution other than taking your own bag and using it again and again and again and again. (laughs) I feel like climate change and global warming and catastrophic Mm. effects uh, potentially in the future for us all is just so large and overwhelming Mm. that people are like, I don't even know Mm. what to do. I'm just going to keep living my life because I don't even I don't Mm. even know what to do. Mm. And I feel like at least getting rid of plastic bags and um, trying to find other ways of transporting and packaging things and all of that stuff is is something that's really tangible Mm. for people. Yeah, one of the reasons that the plastic bags have been targeted by, I guess, the waste groups and other campaigners is that it's actually seen to be the low-hanging fruit. It's the stuff that can be achieved. So it's hard to sometimes not get frustrated when you think, oh, why is this not easier? Yeah, but you're right. It's something very tangible. And I think that it's really important that we do have those small actions and bring it back to what we can do. Because I think you're right that it is quite overwhelming. I think that it's completely underestimated the mental health effects, that the knowledge of climate change that 
you know, this entire, well, many generations has now, um, and particularly ours and, and anyone younger, I think the stress of living with that knowledge is... It's a looming threat that we can't actually do much about because it's global and it's about industry and governments rather than our own little lives. That's right, yeah. I, I think we can do things and I think we have to do things. Um, I guess one of the things that keeps me involved in local and community projects is that belief that, you know, governments governments can't do it, corporations won't do it, and so we're the ones that have to do it and we have to lead from the ground. Mm. And I know that that's, you know, that's complicated and I have absolute admiration for people that can continue to work at um, a campaign level that's dealing with government and policy. I think it needs to come from both directions. But I guess my own my own way of sustaining myself in the world is to, you know, to use it, that phrase to be the change and I, I do think that's the most powerful thing that we can do. So I feel like, and I might be living in a little bubble, but I feel like a lot of people have just accepted that climate change is really a thing. I know there's a, there's sort of stalwarts of resistance and I, <laughs> um, in the community. Like, um, Why do you feel like there's so much resistance at the corporate and government level to doing everything we can to combat climate change? Because there's profit in it. And I don't think that there is much resistance to the knowledge that climate change is real. I think there's that's kind of the other edge of the 1%. It gets far more airplay than what it should. There really isn't any um, question around climate change. That's my well-researched belief. <laughs> um, but I think that there are definite forces at play that um, keep, you know, feeding that doubt. I don't really have any great theories about how that corporate dominance continues to be enabled but I guess I do think that it, it's mostly about um, people's brains being switched off that it's partly it's it's too big how can we deal with it that stuff that you were talking about so actually I've just got to live my life you know people talking about living in the real world I think the real world in that sense is just our lives uh, what we can deal with and so I think that there are very clever marketers in the corporate world that keep us disempowered. To be countercultural, which is to step outside of um, the usual ways of doing business is, you know, takes energy. And when you fill up people's lives with television and social media and all these things, then there's not a lot of time left to do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to talk about the corporate dominance without people putting you in a box of you're one of them uh, that you know believes you know you're a conspiracy theorist or other ways of dismissing beliefs around that but I, I, it's the same thing I don't I don't think that you actually find many people now that don't believe in corporate dominance and that you know cor large corporations with a lot of power are making a lot of really fundamental decisions and clearly they're not being made by people who feel a really strong connection to the earth and the suffering 
So at what point in your life did you start getting involved or did you start seeing that the environment was important and needs help and that you would want to spend your time and energy trying to do what you can to to help the environment and combat climate change and all that sort of stuff? What was your personal story? I think it was after working in the public service in my after after I finished school I had a really good job I was a manager in the public service and I realized that I didn't fit there and the reason I think I didn't fit was because I couldn't stop myself from thinking about how things could benefit people on the other end of the phone so for example you know like back then we had paper files and you could just shuffle a file down if the person was annoying I felt like I was surrounded by people who didn't connect with person at the other end of the phone as having a difficult story that was in at it was the Motor Accident Board back then or the Transport Accident Commission. So people were bringing up that had accidents and um, needed income support and sometimes it could take months to get that sorted out. And at some point I just thought, I can't do this anymore and not because the, I didn't think the work was important or I enjoyed aspects of it, but I, I felt like I was surrounded by people who didn't care or who, who were switched off somewhat. And so I went overseas for a number of years and um, then I came back and did a social work degree and it was probably, it was a combination of travelling overseas. I guess I kind of got to see other places and I didn't even necessarily spend time in wild places but I guess I felt connected to a, a bigger sense of the world after that. I can't say that there's any point in time where I suddenly became, you know, like a greenie or an environmentalist. And I still probably don't see myself as that. I probably see myself more as, you know, connected to people and then recognising that people are really dependent upon the earth. So that's that's probably something that I've connected with much more, probably only in the last 10 years, even though I've done a lot of environmental work before then it was connected to seeing what was good for people if that makes sense I'm not sure it does make a great deal of sense (laughs) (laughs) do you feel like we can still do an awful lot to change things I can have very dark moments and I think that I have had an increasing realization that those moments are about grief for a future that I believe is about catastrophic circumstances and particularly when I connect that to you know having children and wondering what their future will be you know a number of the things that I've done over the last few years when I haven't been well and I think not being well is you know part of this very thing that we're talking about working really hard and knowing that in the background that maybe it's not that I don't think there's a point because I think we all have lives and we need to make sense of them somehow and want to create meaning of our lives. And so I think the only way that that can be done for me is to work in an area that I think where my life has some integrity and meaning. And I don't, I don't absolutely have a sense of knowing about the future. It's, it is very fear-based. I know it's not irrational fear either. And I think it's important that we do actually come to terms with the grief of that so that we can be as alive to what we need to do 
Um, I attended something recently where it was put very plainly that um, the world really needs us now to be awake and to make changes as quickly as we can and to also bring our children into that connection not not to the catastrophic future but in connection with the earth and connection with themselves because if they don't do that work now in the future it may be if they're dealing with survival there's not necessarily the luxury of connecting to themselves and to their community. So that sense of building community and supporting our young people to be connected to a strong sense of self is the luxury that we have right now. And so I feel quite passionate about that as well. But it was a real wake up moment when I had this person that I really respect, you know, just name that, that the young people today or, you know, maybe their children, I'm not sure, you know, may well be dealing with survival. So there's some stuff they need to sort out before then. You're listening to An Environment for Change on Main FM 94.9. This morning I'm talking to Lucy Young about her campaign to make Castlemaine a plastic bag-free town. We're going to have a chat to Lucy about what the best options are for replacing the single-use plastic bags and also where to from here for the campaign. Can you talk to me about a lot of the reusable long-life bags that are actually made of plastic? Mm. Can you talk about whether they are actually more sustainable than using single-use bags in terms of how much plastic is used and what happens to them? Because I've heard um, people say that they're not more sustainable Mm. in the end because they don't actually last that long and they do get holes in them and degrade and you only get maybe 50 uses out of them Mm. and the amount of plastic used in them is the equivalent of 50 plastic bags anyway. So... Mm. Mm. Part of the problem in deciding what is the most sustainable choice or the best choice in terms of bags is that the studies I've looked at are not comparing, are not using all of the data and and the data um, analysis that they don't seem to take into account is the effect on the natural environment. They do in terms of um, CO2 emissions in production, the problems with the end of life, whether or not they break down, how many times they can be used, what water is used in their manufacturing, and calico bags use a lot of water compared to everything else, um, but they can also last a lot longer. So the biggest the biggest difference for me in and what we promote is the calico bags, or actually the absolute best option is the boomerang bags or any bags made out of upcycled fabrics, reclaimed fabrics. Yeah, not fabrics that are used new, so they're either destined for landfill or they've been old bed sheets. Something that's upcycled is the best option. And from our point of view, the next best option is something like the calico bag or the hessian bag or something that breaks down without causing problems at the end of its life cycle because the data that I see that governments have relied upon all over the world have not got any way of quantifying the effect on the natural environment and that's something that actually is not in anyone's bottom line for many of these decisions that you know what is the effect on the ecology if we destroy our marine wildlife what is the effect on the ecology if there's plastic everywhere on the environment that's a really big question that I we know in our gut that the effect is terrible but I don't see it being reflected in the research about what our options should be 
And the thing with cotton is, of course, where you grow it has a large determinant on how bad, shall we say, that it is. Water is a problem worldwide, even though some places like Bangladesh, would you, we would struggle to think about water being a problem there because they have those massive floods. But the research says that water is the biggest problem. And so you certainly can't think of the cotton-based bags as a replacement for single use. They are a different item. They are a multiple-use bag. And I think the research says something like they need to be used over 100 times to make up their shortfall and most of them will that's not even a third of a year and most calico bag calico bags will last at least that long the fact is that a lot of the bags that Woolies and Coles are now switching to that are a thicker micron plastic bag which is what we moved away from and they've um, they've gone backwards in producing thicker plastic bags that take longer to break down, use more resources, and they've now put printing on the side saying, this is a reusable bag. And they charge anywhere between 10 and 20 cents for the bag. It's hardly any disincentive at all. So it's very disappointing and I'm quite cynical about it. I do believe that they'll be making profits from the sale of those plastic bags. I, yeah. was, I was at Gringo's the other day and I'm pretty sure they haven't had plastic bags in years. No, they've got a box somewhere. But yeah. They have, but they never give them out. But what I found interesting was when I was up at the counter, she didn't say, she didn't just assume or she didn't ask. She just said, and how would you like to carry this? Yeah. And I'm like, that's a great way because it makes me go, this is my problem to solve. It's not the shop's problem to solve. How am I going to carry this? And I asked for a box and she had a box and that was great. What's the future of this project? How long do you see it going for? How far along are you in the in what you think the process is? Yeah, well, it's it's not been a linear process by any stretch of the imagination, because probably because plastic bags, as I said, were are seen to be the low hanging fruit. So, um, we and we haven't achieved that status yet, but we do know from um, anecdotal feedback from a number of retailers is that they're only giving out about a third of the amount of plastic bags that they were. Um, and it's not only about our campaign, it's become very much something that's in the media. But we're also, you know, we've um, gone sideways into soft plastics. You mean soft plastics recycling? Yeah, and also just bringing awareness. So that's all the packaging that, you know, your pasta pack, everything that food is wrapped in. We know now it's much more well known that that is recyclable as well. Having said that, we very much focus on the reduce aspect of things because whilst things are recyclable, plastics, unlike aluminium or glass, is only ever downcycled. Glass and aluminium can keep going forever, whereas um, plastic degrades and usually recycled plastic can't be used for food again. So it, it's not really a very recyclable product, but it's still better than going into landfill to recycle it. Yeah, so we, we're doing a lot of stuff with the soft plastics. We recently supported the container deposit scheme and we're working on um, issues with uh, just generally around waste. Working with the local council, for example, to get them to try and change over their doggy bags to, to be biodegradable. But not only biodegradable, 
if you use a biodegradable bag or a compostable bag, it's really just like a plastic bag unless you compost it. So it's not just a matter of switching to compostable bags. It's a matter of setting up a compost system to deal with them. We keep kind of going. Anything that's to do with resource recovery or waste minimisation, I've kind of got the green light to go into. But having said that, this is an issue much bigger than an individual foundation. And the Hub Foundation's been supporting it to date as they've supported so many projects over the years. So we don't have an end date at this point, but if a really good ban comes into Victoria, that could be a good exit time. Yeah, we're not sure if that's going to happen. The ideal is that um, Victoria does introduce a container deposit scheme, a, a ban that includes bags, microbeads, straws, um, ta- and single-use plastics, and that there's a really strong educational campaign behind that to support retailers and consumers to easily make that change. We don't really think that's likely. So, yeah, it comes back to that cultural change. And as we know, it's already had some effect in Castlemaine. So the verdict is that cloth bags that use upcycled or repurposed fabric is the only truly sustainable solution to disposable plastic bags. You've been listening to me, Ali Hanley, speak to Lucy Young, who has been managing the Plastic Bag Free Castlemaine campaign for over a year now. Tune in next week to hear me chat to Ginny, who is the founder of the Castlemaine branch of Boomerang Bags, who do use repurposed and upcycled fabric to create reusable shopping bags. You have been listening to an Environment for Change, an eight-part sustainability series made possible by a community grant from the Mount Alexander Shire Council. You can listen to this and other episodes of the series on the Main FM SoundCloud page. My name is Alison Hanley. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.